Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode. So it's quite obvious that YouTube is becoming more or less of a mainstream platform and it is a platform that a lot of us have to consider because there is a lot of traffic to be gained. Additionally, it is a lot less competitive than Google that is maturing and seeing more and more big news media sites showing up in search results and YouTube is often an opportunity to tackle very difficult niches in Google. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about blogging versus YouTube, but most importantly, blogging and YouTube together and how you can use it for your authority side to get better results and reach more people. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. More and more people have been watching this podcast on YouTube, and so we decided to talk a little bit about YouTube. It's been about a year that we have been active there, and we have mostly been posting the podcast, but we've also done some other videos if you followed us there. And I've been geeking this out quite a lot, like in terms of like making a strategy, etc. You haven't seen everything, but I've been really quite into it. And I wanted to talk about this against blogging and like how it fits together and how these two models can maybe help each other and so on. And maybe like which one you should do in 2021 is it still was blogging and everyone's talking about YouTube, but not many people are talking about blogging on like mainstream media, etc. And of course, I have the best guest for me uh, to help me with that today. And that is Mark. How's it going, Mark? It's going good. I got some Star Wars socks for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if you can see, uh, but I want to ask you a question. Um, okay, so first go. of all, did you know that in surveys among high school students, becoming a YouTuber is now the number one desired profession. Uh, so most most kids want to become YouTubers more than football players or astronauts or whatever else these days. So Gail, do you want to become a YouTuber? I think people don't understand what it really means to be a YouTuber. It's like a lot of time spent on editing videos, etc. Like it sounds fun to like stay in front of the camera and record stuff. But like before we jump on the camera now, I spent like an hour plus researching some stuff and just like taking notes and not talking to anyone. And then we're not doing this anymore, but the first few podcasts we did, for example, I was editing them and it takes a long time. It took me like three, four hours usually uh, just to figure out what we wanted to do with it, etc. And I'm sure uh, Maxim, who is doing it for us, is spending at least this much time when he edits it, especially because we have more and more effects, etc. these days. So I think it's kind of like everything, right? People imagine they want to be a footballer, but they don't understand what like six hours of training a day plus like all the diet that you can't eat the stuff you want, etc. and so on that it would take. The same as like being an actor sounds great, but learning like thousands of lines and having to change your appearance and body, etc. for a role, etc. is extremely difficult and so on. I think it's kind of the same thing. So it's like, I think what people want is watch YouTube, <laughs> not, not, not do content, you know, because actually doing content is an actual job. So yeah, I think that's how I would take it. And I think they just don't know what they're talking about. That would be my take, but that's what an old idiot, an old uh, stubborn person would say as well. So, you know, who knows, maybe I'm, I'm leaning towards that side now. Yeah. Does that answer so satisfy you? It does. Yes. Extremely okay. sad. I'm extremely satisfied yeah. with that answer. Mm -hmm. I'm happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's jump into the actual podcast, right? So I think before, you know, it's like when I was doing philosophy essays in France, because we actually have philosophy classes in high school, the first thing you had to do at the beginning of every essay is define the terms of the question. So you'd have a question, for example, like I had a question once in a philosophy essay, which was, what is art? And my, my final exam question was, is happiness preferable to knowledge? Uh, which is another very interesting question. Before you actually jump into actually the, the interesting debates, etc., what you do is you define the term. Well, in this case, what was it happiness? What is knowledge? But in this case, what is blogging and what is YouTube? And how do we define each of these things? So I'll let you do that because I think you're better than me at that. When we talk about blogging in this context, we're talking about building a website creating content targeted at specific keywords. So we have our SEO in mind here. We talk about doing SEO, on-page SEO, link building, that kind of thing. And we're trying to rank for specific, we rank these articles we create for specific keywords so that we get organic traffic from Google. That's a little different to Sometimes you, you hear this notion of blogging, which is more like, oh, let's just talk about what I'm feeling today and news that comes up and yeah. get clickbait shares. It's more like an SEO-focused blogging that we're talking about in this episode, at least. So that's, that's what we mean by blogging. And what we mean by YouTube is, well, basically running the YouTube treadmill, the hamster wheel. 
So creating a, a YouTube channel, creating content for that channel, filming videos, editing the videos, building an audience on that channel, making sure that your video or making videos that get likes, responding to the engagement mechanisms on YouTube so that you can get more subs, grow your channel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that, but I think there's two ways of doing YouTube, right? There's that way, there's basically the engagement path and there's the SEO path, right? Because YouTube is basically both a search engine and a social network. It's a search engine powered by social network metrics. So there is some people that don't run a treadmill when they do YouTube because they focus on the SEO side. It's a, it's, it's a treadmill. treadmill, not a okay. treadmill. <laughs> See, I, I can do philosophy, but I can't say treadmill. So this is, here you go. So if, you, if you're focusing on the SEO side of things, then there's less pressure on like being regularly creating content, etc. Obviously, you will lose a bit on that. It's like, it's like if you have people that subscribe to you, but then they don't click on your videos for, you know, a month or two or something like that, then the chances of your next video showing up to them in a... Um, you know, in the homepage or on the uh, recommended videos or even just receiving an email notification is lower and lower as time passes. There's a decay effect, right? So you, you lose some benefits of that SEO because you rank for these keywords. People subscribe, hopefully, if your content is good enough. And if you're ranking, people like the content because if you have poor metrics, you just end up losing your rankings. People like it, they subscribe. And if you don't produce enough videos, you lose a bit of that. But it's a lot less than like the YouTubers that these uh, high school students are following which are much more like engagement based uh, only. And they rely mostly on the social side of YouTube, which is like recommended videos, et cetera. And like, you know, they follow one and then the other guy, the other YouTuber that does the same thing gets recommended and people find him and click and subscribe. And these guys, you need to, because you don't get that kind of like ongoing traffic that you get from SEO, the same way you get uh, when you do a blog, they need to pump the engagement like crazy, which is people watching. Uh, people liking, people commenting, people subscribing, clicking on notification bell, uh, and watch time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's two ways of doing YouTube, and I think it's important to say to say that because I think the SEO side of YouTube is very close to blogging these days. I'm not sure because I think you need extreme engagement metrics, whichever one of those two YouTube avenues you're going. I don't think mm. you can just create content without with like keyword targeted you YouTube need content engagement. without factoring in factoring in engagement metrics so whether you like it or not you're on that treadmill a little bit but like like i'll give you an example for example like the link whisper review i did right i did that it was one of my like test videos that was not a podcast this year i did it when i was traveling as well so that was difficult but like this is i think this ranks number one obviously i say that and then like two days later it just jumps down <laughs> if you if you search link whisper review we jumped to number one Despite the fact that some people have done reviews after me, I also definitely wasn't the first. I did quite late compared to other people, but like because of engagement metrics and the pump of traffic uh, that we've been able to push to the video, we jumped to number one quite quickly, like let's say a week or two or something. And we haven't moved, for example. And the thing is like, I don't need to do any work here. Like, because as long as my video generates the same level of engagement as it has at the beginning, and the other new videos don't overtake it, then it's fine. The only risk for me is like Link Whisper updates completely to a new interface. People see that when they watch the video and they're like, ah, this is all shit. They click back quicker, my watch time reduces, and then I lose my rankings, you know? So there's a degree of passivity here that I, well, I don't really need to put any work now that I'm here, you know? True, but to to get to that, you had to play the engagement game. Yep. On, on there's YouTube the, the, the engagement by, pump at the beginning, yeah. If I remember correctly, we sent that that link out no that video out to our entire list it's embedded in a review on our our site and we we gave it a big push when when it was released but you can see how you how the initial push pays dividends and has like a very long lingering effect and that's quite the interesting part of youtube is like provided you can do your launch properly and you really need to treat videos like you're launching them then you are able to get really long-term benefits provided nobody comes and challenges you on that one keyword you picked. So obviously the more competitive stuff, like let's say we went for best hosting, for example, you know, there's way, way more videos and way more people who know what they're doing on these kind of keywords. Then it's like, it would have been challenged at this point if we did nothing to keep pumping it and keep ranking. So it's very, very similar to Google, right? It's like, if you pick a low competition keyword, you can rank this pretty easily and there's not much work left to maintain your rankings, whereas if you go for a competitive keyword, you need to kind of like put the work ongoing. So that's why I like to compare the SEO side of YouTube a little bit to blogging and then 
There's the social engagement side as well. And usually the best strategy is to play a bit on both sides, you know, so like because the engagement, you can use the social side to then rank for keywords and, and just kind of have that like passive traffic that you can grow over time. So anyway, anything else on like defining the models? Are we done with defining here? I think, I think uh, we can move on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, again, we went way too far. And we also took a bunch of stuff from the next part. So let's jump on the next part, which is going to be getting started. So I've cut the podcast in several sections, like getting started, getting traffic, making money, like all the main things that matter for these models. And at the end, we're going to talk about how they work together. So getting started on a blog, I think the number one thing that stops people with blogging is actually that it costs some money. So it's not very difficult technically anymore. But it's scary. Like people have heard of what HTML is very often and they, they think it's coding and they're scared of it. And on yeah. top of that, it costs You, you money. don't need a web designer or a web developer to create a website in 2021. You haven't for, gosh, at least two like years, seven, yeah. eight years now. But like in the last two years, it's really accelerated with the team builders, etc. Like you can really just click and edit any part of WordPress with the right tools. But it costs money. Like you need to pay for hosting. If you want this click and edit simplicity, you need to pay for a page builder or a theme that does that usually. So it's going to cost you, you know, like let's say the hosting costs you 100 euros for one year because they rarely sell for less. And then the theme, whatever, you know, it's going to cost you between 20 and, and $60 for one year of license for one site, let's say, depending on what you use. So it's like already like the 150 bucks or something, 160 bucks you need to spend. It stops a lot of people, right? It still takes some work to put it together. It's not so simple that there is pre-made templates, etc., but it's not exactly what you want. And then as soon as you change something on the template, it doesn't really look right anymore and you need to fix that. You don't know really. And just web design. And I think it's, it's also because a website is a blank canvas and you can, yeah. you can do anything you want in it. Naturally, naturally you're going to think, oh, actually, I want to move that heading over here or put a button here. How do I do that? And do I need to customize it and install plugins and all this kind of stuff? Whereas YouTube, it's like, well, you can put your cover image here and it has to be this size and that's about it. So yeah, overall, starting a blog is more difficult. It's more barrier to entries than there is YouTube. You can just even film videos with your phone. I mean, like I have like this uh, new iPhone one, like it's really good. The, the videos now, it films like HDR videos and everything. Like it's pretty amazing and it's good enough to get started. It's like if you become, if you do this on a professional level, you probably would want to have a camera eventually. We had some people asking on HPro if they could just like build a big channel with a with a phone and no, I don't think so. I mean, you, you can, there's that gamer, uh, what's his name, Syndicate something. Uh, he plays like Call of Duty. He made like a vlog, I forget what it's called, but he's in the UK and he only films on his, his iPhone. He has like 10 million subscribers or something. So it's possible. Like for all the videos? No, no, no. Just on his vlog has 10 million subscribers. Okay. Uh, wow, that's awesome. Which is pretty significant. I think that's the exception more than the rule. It's definitely possible to get started. What I would say is like focus on the audio to begin with because that's normally the thing that's the most shit when you're using like a phone or, or whatever. Yeah, like Echo. Echo, like, the, why do I have all these, like, uh, soundproofing things behind me? It's because there was Echo in this room. I have, like, high ceilings. And that's messy. Like, people, your time on, your watch time will decrease massively if your sound is shit. Whereas, you know, it's like, we, when we do, like, guest interviews, we're just using, like, Zoom, etc. the video quality just is much, much worse than it would be in this episode, for example. And, yeah, it doesn't, like, reduce watch time that much. I mean, like, during the lockdowns, like even like late night shows in the US on national TV were done on Zoom at this at some point with like interviews and stuff. So it's not that big of an issue as long as the sound is good. But overall, YouTube is much easier to get started just in terms of setup. There's pretty much nothing to buy provided you have a phone. Whereas I would say, yeah, there's a, there's a 150 euros buyer to entry to starting a new site if you put like a, a hosting and let's say a page builder. So that's, that's basically getting started. Anything else on this section or can we jump on the traffic? Let's move on. Do the traffic for the blog and I'll do the traffic for YouTube. So getting traffic to a blog in this sense, using the, the kind of SEO strategy, you start off with your keyword research. You need to spend some time and money figuring out which keywords you want to you go for. You need to learn some SEO skills. You need to be able that's to anal analyze, analyze what you can conceivably reach and what you can compete in, which if you've never done it before is very, very difficult. Then after you've identified what those keywords are, you need to produce content for it, which is some people find that very easy, but more and more these days, Google is giving us a very specific idea of what it needs. Like the search intent, if you Google 
best vacuum cleaners, then you'll get 10 results, which are very, very similar. Probably most compare and recommend the same products are structured more or less the same. There'll be review, many reviews of a bunch of different products, a little guide to tell you how to buy or how to choose a good vacuum cleaner. And there'll be a conclusion at the end and maybe a table at the top with the best recommended one. More and more, there's this like convergence of how content is is made. So you have to be able to play that game in order to be part of those those results, at least yeah. for competitive keywords like like that. Uh, and it's a grind. Like you have to do this many times. You build fifty, maybe a hundred articles on a site initially when you when you're sort of like in that early stage, and you're investing all this time and and money and getting. It's not like YouTube where you can get like a trickle of visitors and some comments. You can literally have no visitors or you know, five visitors a, a day in like month four or something. It's really, it's tough. Beyond that, you then have to optimize all that content. You need to use maybe a tool like Surfer SEO or even just do basic on-page SEO technical. Talking about these days, an AppSumo right now running for Market Muse on AppSumo. So if you're on a tool that does that and you want to pay once and not pay a subscription, go check it out. Yeah, there's a, the whole SEO play with on-page and then Let's not even get into link building. We did a podcast about that last week, two weeks ago. I forget when it was. Uh, so go check that out if you want to learn how to do link building. But it's hard. It takes time. It's, it's a grind. But it's also really important to get traffic. So you need to do all these different things, which you can't just bang it out in a couple of days or whatever. This is a consistent play that you have to do over and over again over one year, maybe even more than a year, until you, you, you start getting traffic in and, 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 and that way. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the really thing, the thing that has changed with SEO is this search intent stuff, right? It's like Google just tells you, this is what I want. Like someone do the best article you can and I'll put you number one, provided your matrix match, you know? And you, there was a time when you could just be original and create really cool content that would then do these kind of like engagements. So you would both be able to engage a following and create content that ranks well in Google because you would engage people, then people would share it on social, then people would link to you. And just because of the sheer power of link metrics provided you do some promo as well, it's not just magical links happening. You could do well in SEO by being original, having an interesting take on the topic, etc., and and be this kind of like content creator stuff that like people kind of like envision when they get on the internet. And the idea of blogging originally was that, was like to essentially provide a unique take on things and create something unique. It's really not how it works anymore. This is dead. Now Google knows what they want and they want utility content. They want content that will match a query and people will Google that query and that page will just serve exactly what people were looking for. And Google is a utility, right? It's, it's like electricity or, or water or something like that. It's just like a utility for knowledge. You search it, the page shows up from the website. In exchange, Google sends you that traffic. You are free to monetize it the way you want, provided the page gives exactly what the Google searcher wants. And so that's where... Getting traffic on YouTube gets a little bit different because, as we said, it's a search engine, so there's still that level of intent, etc. And when you do keyword research on YouTube, you look at like how long the videos are, you look at what people talk about, etc., etc. But you can do well still with that kind of like interesting take or different approach to doing things. For example, my link whisper review, because I mentioned that video earlier, was very, very different from the reviews uh, out there. But because it was different, because I was able to not just say, this is great, go buy it, click on my affiliate link, da, 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 and I was actually able to give it some criticism. And actually, Spencer took a lot of it and pretty much added everything I mentioned in that review. People loved it. And like really excited comments, like there's a guy that said, oh, it's the best review I've seen. I wish all the product reviews were done like this, da, 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 et cetera. And that level of engagement, then YouTube was like, oh, people love this, and just went straight up, Number one for link whisper review, right? It's not a very competitive keyword. I'm not bragging about this. I'm just, it's a good example to show how it works. So that's the thing. It's like YouTube now, if you have a strong personality, if you want to take an interesting take on things, if you want to disrupt ideas, if you want to be that content creator that people fantasize like what content creation would be, then YouTube is your platform. If you are an, someone that enjoys, you know, the details and like, doing excellent execution on things, regardless of what it is, but rather just enjoys the craft of putting something together, then then that's where SEO and blogging kind of comes together, where you can, I made that um, comparison in another podcast and you liked it. I said, like, it's like theater, you know, you have the same text and you just have different actors. 
And then, like, depending on the actors, like, you know, some actors are shit, some actors are great, and it changes completely. It's basically what SEO is at this point. It's like, you already, Google's giving you the text. They don't give you the text. They give you, you know, they give you what you need to say, and then you just need to say it in the best way possible with the best production value. And that's how you are successful. So that's kind of like the big difference when it comes to getting traffic. Obviously, I'm not talking about link building here because we have a whole podcast. So yeah, we'll put the, the card up there if you want to check that out. So I think that's when, for me, it's the fundamental difference when it comes to picking which one you want to make your main way of creating content. And the thing is like, you can always make one the support of the other. So we're going to go that to that at the end of the podcast, but I think it makes sense to start mentioning it now is that in the end, the answer is going to be, you probably should do both. But the thing is, you've got to pick a major and a, a minor channel, right? So you, you'd be like, is YouTube my major? I make YouTube videos and I make blog posts from it. Or do I make blog posts and I make YouTube videos from it, right? And then you, you one becomes your support channel. I personally think that Autoria Hacker is going to lean more towards actually making YouTube videos with high quality blog posts that become like the support or something. But you will be able to do both. You will need to like, let's say your YouTube is your major and then blog posts are your minor. Then you will write the blog, the support blog post in a way that kind of like takes what you said on YouTube with that crazy ideas, et cetera, personality and you tone it down and you go back and match the search format Google is expecting from that while kind of like communicating similar ideas. Whereas if you do blog major and then YouTube minor, then you'll just write the perfect blog post for SEO. But then what you'll do after is you will make kind of a neutral tone video, but you will be able to target it for like exact keywords on YouTube. And then you, you'll play more of the, the SEO YouTube, whereas the other one will play more of the engagement YouTube and then play the SEO on the blog. So it's quite interesting to think about it that way. I went way overboard on that part, but whatever. <laughs> Do you want to take the next part? Yeah. So the next one's really about competition. And I guess like the difficulty of, of being successful in, in any particular space, I think with blogging, like SEO focused blogging these days, we're for sure seeing verticals, niches, spaces, which are getting like really, really competitive, like a lot of people competing over the, the big money keywords, which makes sense. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a market at the end of the day. But I'd also say that there are just as many spaces to like break in, which have really low, low to medium competition that with you're still going to need a bit of grit and drive to break through, but it's very much achievable. I feel like with YouTube and I'm not a YouTuber, so let me preface that despite this going out on YouTube. Are we YouTubers? I, 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 we won't call yeah. ourselves YouTubers, but no, it's like YouTubers yeah. like, like it's like the, the, the three, four yeah. videos that I did last year, like this, this, if I did more of that, then I would say yes, but so far, no. Yeah. So. Whereas on YouTube, to break through requires you to grab attention and to be to be different and to stand out. Now, often that is done through a good idea for a, a video, a type of video, a unique angle, something about your personality. Either way, you have to have that kind of X factor or you have to just be really good at creating content, at creating videos. Now, you could argue you need to be really good at creating web content, like articles, blog posts for blogging. But I would say that's much easier than to be really good at creating videos because the video production skill set that you need, especially when it comes to like lighting, audio, editing, especially, which you it's probably be spending most of your time yeah. done. It's more technical, it's more of an art, and it's more of an art form that takes a, not everybody, a lot of people have never done it before, whereas everybody has written stuff. I mean, everyone who's gone to school has has written stuff before. So you kind of, you're already wet your feet with, with, with that to an extent. So, yeah. I agree. I think it's like, I mean, I disagree on the fact that you think that YouTube is harder than, than SEO. I think I would have an easier time, for example, getting into, let's say, the financial niche or even the hosting niche. Like, let's keep these like really difficult niches. It would be easier for me to get down YouTube and actually do a splash and like grow fast versus try to go for the SEO keywords, for example. So I would say for like tough niches, YouTube is still much less competitive because it's harder to create the content, right? And because, and that's the thing as well. It's like, because Google's transition to utility content, it's not too hard for big corporations, big news type website, et cetera, to figure that out, to figure out that, that utility content. But it's much harder for them to figure out personality, 
doing something engaging, etc. And what it does is that small creators can come in and leapfrog these big corporations, no matter how much money they have, because you're able to create something much cooler than they are. And it's an opportunity for competitive niches, in my opinion, especially high-paying competitive niches like for affiliate, etc. I think it's it's quite good for that. But the problem is because is that YouTube is also smaller than Google by a lot. Significantly. Like, and so what that means is that some small niches that may be viable on Google are just not viable on YouTube. There's just not enough volume, there's not enough people, etc. So you need to be a bit careful. I think it's easier to go in the more competitive niches but then there's a lot, also a lot less small niches that are viable. So your selection is a little bit different here. But like, I mean, I'm thinking like, I, I'm going to give that example again, but like MKBHD versus The Verge, right? So MKBHD single, like, you know, one guy that just created YouTube videos, but got really obsessed with making them amazing, doesn't have any corporation behind, doesn't have anything. Now he's doing interviews with Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, etc., and at the same time has the most views on all the reviews for the new phones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you have something like The Verge, which is like a massive publishing conglomerate um, that is trying to compete with that guy and barely keeps up, even though they have way more money, way more people, way more everything, with what he is doing. So that gives you an idea that of the kind of like competitive niches that you can jump in as a single creator, you know? I think in a way. They say sort of like people follow people, not not corporations. So corporations have often struggled on platforms like YouTube, which is very much you following the person and their personality, tone of voice, the way they act and behave on, on camera is very important to the interaction. Whereas a blog, a word is a word, no matter which blog it's on. Okay, you can make an argument about font and, and things like that, but it's much more... There's less connection. There's less signals. You give less signals, right? Because when you talk, you say words, but you do a million other things too, right? The bandwidth of the communication is much narrower on a, a blog. So on YouTube channels, you are still competing, but you're competing not just for what you're saying, but for how you're saying it and how you make people feel with the interaction and you're smiling and whatever else goes goes into it. So someone like M MKBHD, someone like that would have be doing many of those things very, very well. And if you don't possess those or you're not able to find that rhythm, you're gonna not you will not be able to compete on that level. Whereas if you don't have that X factor, you still stand a chance with uh, with, with SEO blogging, with yeah. blog blog content. Yeah, so it's like it's a it's a boon and a curse depending on like your personality and all that stuff, etc. I'm gonna give another channel that people can go check that with a guy that has this absolute crazy X factor and that's fucking amazing. It's called Mark Robber. I don't know if you know him. So he's an ex NASA and Apple engineer. And he just became a YouTuber doing like experiments for kids, pretty much like teaching science to kids or something. But it's like actually really cool and entertaining. And he does like all these crazy experiments and uh, things like that. And it's really fun. And if you want some, to see someone that has like this crazy X factor and understands the YouTube algorithm like nobody else, uh, Mark Rober is a really good example of that as well. So I would recommend people go and check that out. Let's talk about monetization. And that's where... That's why blogging is going to destroy YouTube. So it's like, I feel like when it comes to like getting traffic, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, it's much easier to get traffic on YouTube after a certain point. But the problem is like, when you have your own site, you can put your own call to actions. You're not limited by the platform's format. Like when you go on YouTube, it's just a giant YouTube video. And then actually other people's ads around your video, you know? And it's not your ads, it's not your call to actions. And then the only call to actions you can put is like the cards, the, you can put a link at the end as a, you know, as a call to action at the end for the last 15 or 20 seconds of the video and the description and the pinned comment. That's basically like the areas where you can send people to other places and try to promote stuff, etc. But it's a bit shit, to be honest, like compared to like a pop up on a website, for example, or compared to like, let's say you have like a white blog post, white background, and you make like a red box with a call to action in the middle of the content, something like the amount of people are going to click on this, the, in, the level of interest, etc., is going to be much higher on your own site. So you can afford to have less traffic to your site and probably make the same or more money. You need like way more views on YouTube than you get visits on your site to make about the same money. So it's quite interesting that in this part, I actually believe blogs and sites are still doing good. And that's why obviously we're still doing sites, etc. We're not just like building YouTube channels. You know, we could we could have pivoted to that, but we're not doing that. For that reason, because monetization is just much better and you own it as well, right? It's like, it's not like, it's like 
okay, Google can cut the traffic to your site, but like, let's say you have an email list. Usually Google doesn't cut the traffic to your site without giving you a chance to get it back or something, but YouTube channels do get banned forever. It happens. And it's like, okay, goodbye. You lost everything. You start over. With a Google penalty, it's a bit different. Copyright strikes or whatever, yeah. A Google penalty is pretty much always temporary, right? You can, you will always at some point get, get something back, etc. And you can still exploit your business if at a much lower level because you don't get all that Google traffic. You can still send emails to your list and sell and sell stuff. You can still retarget people. You can still do a bunch of stuff, do paid traffic. So you are dependent on the platform when you're on YouTube and they do whatever the hell they want and they own your profile. So it's something that is going to be a massive risk. And that's why YouTubers in general are not good at monetizing. They don't have the best monetization opportunities. They have advertising, like, you know, the platform advertising on YouTube, which is pretty terrible, to be honest, like advertising on a website makes way more money. Again, with like the same amount of traffic as you get views, you get way more money with something like AdSrive or Mediavine than you would use AdSense on YouTube. You can do Patreon donations, etc. Unless you have a lot of people that watch your stuff, you're not going to get a lot of money from this probably. You can do sponsorship. So you can just say, hey, this video is sponsored by NordVPN, da 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 da, etc. It's like, you, you've seen that a million times, right? And um, the thing is like, some of these deals are affiliate deals. So it's not better than affiliate marketing. And some of them, I mean, they pay okay, but like it's usually a few hundred bucks per video or something, unless you're really big. Uh, unless you're Linus Tech Tips, for example. If you want to see someone who does sponsoring properly, Linus Tech Tips, these guys, they have it down, they have a sales team, they have all of that. And I guarantee you, one sponsorship on their channel must be like 10 grand, I think, or something. And then you can do merch as well. You can do, like people do merch when they have a following. I'm sure people are looking with envy at your uh, amazing sweater right now. Oh yeah, so, it's a fleece actually, yeah. But we're idiots, so we don't sell it. No, so. you can't <laughs> buy this, sorry. <laughs> we just give them for free to people who ask us. That's usually how we do that. Don't ask us, please. Yeah, so that's basically how you monetize a YouTube channel. Whereas, yeah, like even on the site, for example, you can sell retargeting pixel, you can do advertising, you can do affiliates, but of course you can do affiliate on YouTube, but not on the same level. Like the call to actions are going to be so much weaker on YouTube than they will be on your site, etc. You can sell your own products as well. It's kind of like the same platform. You can sell your own products from YouTube. That's what merch is. But... Again, like the, the conversion rate, the fact that they have to change platform, etc. Like, you know, if you're on mobile and you watch YouTube on, on the app, you literally have to open a browser from YouTube, etc. It's clunky. So monetization is weaker by all means on YouTube. I think one of the biggest things is that it's very easy to sell a website and you can get quite a lot of money for That's it. That's true. I think it's very difficult. I don't actually know. Can you sell YouTube channels? Is that even a, a thing? I really haven't looked into it. I guess this so, much. so. I guess there's been but, like, like I'm thinking like Techno Buffalo as well. So that was another tech channel that was okay at the time and it was sold. And the guy, the thing is like, the guy it's kind of like the same. took the YouTube channel. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like, it's not the same because it's like, it's really a person person's channel it depends. versus a business. The Verge could sell, for example. Like if the Verge changes hand. It's like many people, like, you know, they, they basically the way these big brands do it is they build a, a portfolio of personalities that keep coming back, right? So it's like, it's always the same guy that reviews the iPhones there. Or it's always the same guy. And people actually follow them like they follow YouTubers. They just know that he does videos at The Verge. Or if you check BuzzFeed, for example, these guys know what they're doing. They have like five or six channels. Like they have BuzzFeed, Blue, Red, etc. Gaming they have now as well. And then on each channel, they attribute that they have like three to 10 personalities that regularly do videos. And they're basically just like sharing the channel and they're just multiple YouTubers on the same channel. And that's how it works. So I guess it can be done, but it's also very difficult. Um, an example I will give as well for this is Ray, Ray William Johnson from Equals 3, which used to be the biggest YouTube channel at some point, I think. Like he used to be really big, basically. And all he would do is he would do a daily video of stupid internet market, internet uh, videos of like people falling and stuff like that, right? And people would just watch that. It was massive. But he got really tired of doing this every day. He did that for many years, right? And so he tried to find someone else to present the show because he would just talk between and he's like, oh, look at this video of this grandma that just fell over with all her groceries. And then he's just like, put that and then put the next one, etc. So he tried to put some someone else and it just fucking crashed. It's like this, his channel just died. And he tried like three or four people, he came back and it just like, once he killed his metrics on YouTube, like 
you know, he lost his business pretty much. And, and there was no way to come back. He never came back to the top. And now it's just one channel among many. I don't even know what they're doing right now, to be honest. Kind of want to check. But it was, it, it's pretty bad. You can check. Uh, now it's called Ray William Johnson. He has 9.63 million subscribers. But like his last video from one week ago only has 24,000 views. That's how YouTube kill. Like that's terrible. Like for a channel like this. Like, can you imagine when we do a podcast, sometimes we get seven, eight K views. And honestly, we're like a tiny, tiny, tiny channel. He has 9.63 million subscribers and the last video has 24,000 views, right? And some videos from like three months ago have 36,000 views. So it's just dead, you know? But if I take his best videos, like he, the absolute biggest views or something, the biggest one has 25 million views, right? That gives you an idea of what the channel was. So that's the problem with YouTube channels. It's like, it becomes very tight to you. And unless you do like kind of like animated videos where you don't have your voice or like you produce this with a team from day one and that's what people subscribe to, that's okay. But provided you've put your face there, it would be quite difficult. Imagine if we replace Mark and Gail with like, uh, who in the industry could replace us? Like who would buy HPro, uh, Autori Hacker and replace us? The income school guys. No, it would probably work, actually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Something like that. So it would be difficult. Neil Patel and uh, Eric Sue. Here we go. They buy they buy Autori Hacker and they take over the podcast. And uh, We're and, not for uh, sale, sorry. Neil Patel takes a French accent during the podcast. I can see that. Um, but yeah, that would be difficult, right? So that's the problem with YouTube. Whereas your site, it's much easier to sell. Like, we had no problem. I mean, obviously, it would be hard to sell Autori Hacker as a site as well because of the tone of the content. But any other site we've made, we had no problem because we built an editorial team. You know, writers come in, come out, they quit or get fired and we hire new ones, etc. And that payday at the end is actually like a big part of what we do now, like for a lot of sites, for like the the portfolio of sites, the sites we manage regularly that are not Atari Hacker. It's like, it's a big chunk of the income very regularly because like the way it looks for us would be like we built for two or three years and we'd consider like getting rid of it or something or like hold it for a bit. But eventually when you get that payout, it's like a two year payout or something at once. And so if you look at the life cycle of the site, let's say you take a five year life cycle, it's a quite important chunk of money, a quite important uh, thing. If we didn't have that exit possibility, it would be much lower the potential income from websites actually. So yeah, I agree. It's a big con, actually. Actually, that's the next part. We're supposed to do pros and cons of YouTube and uh, blogs, but we, do, we did a lot of that already. Another thing that we kind of alluded to but didn't really mention, because I'm jumping to pros and cons now, is when you have sites, you can take a break. Um, like this week, you can coast. From, yeah, you can, you can take a break. Like you can like not do something for a bit of time. Not forever, but for some time. And like, for example, this week, like we finished the authority system 3.0 and like, I'm like this week, you know, what? I'm doing nothing except the podcast and one or two things. And I can allow myself to do that. I don't have the pressure to create content other than this podcast, obviously. And, uh, and it's nice. Whereas when you're on YouTube, it doesn't work that way. Like there's a cost, an opportunity cost to not creating content. It doesn't mean you can come back and create content, but yeah, you will lose recommendations for your new videos, which means less people will watch it initially, which means then uh, YouTube will promote it to less people because less people watch it initially and you just lose your reach slowly. There's the, that decay basically. I was going to say, I think there's something in here about the type of personality that it takes to be a YouTuber, um, to have your face yeah, you out there that, actually, yeah. a, a lot. And especially, you know, we're in a sort of B2B space, so it's it's not really mass market, but some of the, like the big vlogger type people, Casey Neistat's of, of, of this world. I mean, Ooh, he can't so walk down, he, <laughs> whatever. I mean, he, he can't really walk down the street without getting recognized and he is famous, right? So you're kind of giving yourself to, to, to that world in a way. And if you want to like have any kind of anonymity or, you just don't like attention like that, then blogging certainly might be more up your alleyway. You yeah, know? but like, you know, it's like, I think the people who listen to this podcast, they're not trying to be that. They're not trying to be this kind of YouTuber. They're trying to be like niche YouTubers. Like I'm thinking of like Kevin, for example, like Kevin is pure too. Like he has, he's doing well, like Epic Gardening, if you guys want to check it out on YouTube, like he's doing, he's killing it on YouTube. Let me check how many subscribers he has. He has uh, almost a million now, actually. So he's getting there, but... He's not like trying to be this like catch-all celebrity, like these vloggers, etc. I don't think that's what the kind of people who listen to this podcast. They'd be more on Think Media or something like this. That's that's another channel you can check. 
Yeah, so I, I think if you're niche, it's it's fine. Like unless we're in Chiang Mai, nobody knows who the hell we are, you know. Uh, so that's fine. Another thing, yeah, we talked about that. It's like being able to outsource help on blogs. It's like I would hate how to have to create all the content that we need to output all the time. I much prefer doing the optimization, the management, etc. And I think a lot of people who listen to this can do that. I think you can outsource YouTube, but the trick is to do it from day one. The trick is to not make your channel around you and just be very clear about that, even if it's going to cost you some growth because maybe it would be better done if it was yourself or something. If we did it for like another site, I would do that. I would not I would not put myself forward, but you know, I'd be like the producer, right? I'd be the guy behind the camera that says, hey, do that. Here's your text. No, try to put more intonation here. Try to do this, etc." Almost be like on a call like we are now when they record and like have them work on that footage and, and really manage them. Obviously, it's also a lot of work but it allows you to do that. And I think if you start your channel with multiple, like follow what these big brands do, right? The Verge, uh, BuzzFeed, et cetera. What they do is they don't attach the audience to like a single person. So that when that person quits or like does like requires that you pay them three times more because your channel is doing really well or something like that. We had this kind of offers from employees before. You can just essentially tell them to fuck off or you can just, uh, just switch to your other personality. So I think, if you want to do that kind of channel that like you would manage like a website, don't start with your face. Hire multiple people at the beginning. Be the producer, not the, the talent. And I think if you do that, then there's a good chance that you can grow your YouTube channel the same way you would grow a website with writers, etc. And just rotate them regularly, like introduce new people regularly that create content for you, etc. So that it does it's not all anchored on like one person on your sites. From doing this podcast now on YouTube for one year plus or something, I find it much more interesting from a, a creative perspective than writing blog posts. I find blog posts just get very, very repetitive very, very quickly, especially you when you're content. in when you're in a niche and you're doing like a cluster of keywords, you know, the best paintball guns for beginner, best paintball guns for advanced users, best paintball guns for cold countries or whatever it might be. You end up, a lot of your content starts to overlap quite quickly. Whereas I think YouTube just gives you a little bit more room to be creatively free in that sense. It's more fun. YouTube is just a more fun platform. It's like provided you can deal with the tech, it's a more fun platform. But I think it, blogging done right is more lucrative and a nicer lifestyle. So like work is more boring, but then you can take a break. You don't have to be in front of the camera. Uh, you know, you can make more money and be more anonymous, which I think is a nicer lifestyle in the end. And that's why like, I, I'm more working on, on including YouTube in what we do, but not making this the main, main thing, you know? Anything else on pros and cons for YouTube and uh, blogging? Because we're kind of mixing everything right now. So let's go. No. Okay. Let's actually just jump on that thing, which is YouTube and blogging together. So it's, I have this have something I wrote in the, I wrote the ping pong theory. So <laughs> I'm sure. Oh God. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's like the way I see it is like every platform gives you a bit of free traffic for everything you do, right? If you post on Instagram, you know, at least Instagram will show it to some people. Not a lot, but some people. If you post on YouTube, same, some people will see it. If you post content on your blog, Google will give you some traffic. If you post on Pinterest, but even though you're not doing so great, you're getting some traffic, some exposure for what you're doing, sometimes very little, but like as you grow, you get more and more, right? The thing is, usually these platforms, especially not talking just, to, not talking about Google, but like the other ones like Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Bell, et cetera, they have a paid tier, right? They want you to buy ads. They, they want you to, and, and essentially you can treat the free traffic they send you from your Facebook page, from your Pinterest profile, et cetera, as a free trial, right? That's essentially what it is. It's a free trial to the traffic you could get if you buy ads, you just get more of it. And what you can do is you can be like that mom that collects all the coupons so that then she goes to the shop and she pays nothing but gives like 20 coupons. You can kind of do that with your traffic. You can get that little bit of traffic from all these platforms and ping pong it to each other. So you'd be like, hey, go check my new YouTube video on Instagram. And then you get like, three people or five people from Instagram going on YouTube. And on YouTube, you're like, hey, go check that pin that I made with that diagram on Pinterest. And you send these people to Pinterest and hopefully they follow you. And you increase your follower count from like ping-ponging people from platform to platform. And as you increase your follower count, what happens is these platforms see that you have more followers, so they give you more of this free traffic. And it kind of like 
snowballs from there from platform to platform because it's like if you just stick to a single platform it can be quite difficult so it's like it's nice to you don't need to like do all the platforms you just pick like two three or something and then you just create content for them and you're able to ping pong from there and you're able to get value from each one so i'm going to give you some example practical examples now that i explain the theory one of my favorite ways of growing any social channel or even a youtube channel for that matter and actually a way that I told Kevin to use, and he's fucking killing it with it, is find the pages on your site that get Google traffic and create YouTube videos related to the content that is on that page. What that does is that people that learn from Google, you, you're ranking on Google, and they watch that video. When they watch that video and they're logged in, YouTube counts it, right? And so you're going to start popping in their YouTube recommendations, even if they didn't subscribe, even if anything like that. And then you're essentially going to get more and more people watching your videos on YouTube and Eventually, you're going to get these subscribers because next time they watch a video, they'll see it on YouTube.com because it's in recommendations. Then they will have the subscribe button. They're likely to subscribe, etc., etc. It pumps and your own engagement metric. So it exactly. helps you. So that's one, uh, one of these ping pong ideas, for example. That's probably the best one, to be frank. <laughs> There's another one where you can... I like the idea of also taking your YouTube content, like primary YouTube content, and uh, make it SEO content, for example. So it's not always easy because on YouTube, you want engagement and on Google, you want utility, which is often quite opposite, right? It's like, if I want to get, let's say I'm doing a trust review, right? Because this is something that everyone knows about that is listening to this podcast. If I do an a trust review for YouTube, I need the more controversial I am, the more likely I am to get high engagement metrics and get pumped to the top and get regular traffic to my video. Whereas if I do a trust review on Google, then I need to be very consensual and to match the sentiment on the SERP and to have my format match exactly what Google is expecting from that keyword because of the search intent, right? So the thing is like, it is a bit of an editorial job, but you can do that. You can pick your primary one, either, either the blogging or the YouTube, like I mentioned earlier, make that one and then kind of like take that and reformat it, kind of like tweak it a bit and take some parts expand them a bit, take some parts, reduce them a bit to the point where you essentially have two pieces of content that are complementary, not exactly the same, and match both the intent of Google and the intent of YouTube. But it's not exactly two times the work, right? Because you can reuse some of that. Like, you know, in my, like for example, I'd ping pong also people from YouTube to my blog post and from my blog post to YouTube. So on the YouTube video, I'd be like, hey, I have a bunch more screenshots that you can, where you can check that out on the blog post, go on this URL, toyhacker.com slash review. People will go and like get there. And on the blog post, I'd be like, and I can show you exactly how to do this step-by-step step inside the, the tutorial on YouTube. Here's the video embedded and you watch that. So you can create these things and create complementary pieces of content that 80% overlap and 20% match the platform. And you can do quite well in ping-ponging traffic that way, basically. Another thing as well is if you have a lot of YouTube subscribers, you have a community tab that where you can just make posts like you would do on any social network, including links. And you can promote your blog posts there as well, actually, and or opt-in pages, etc. And you can get people to opt-in there as well. So I like them together. I, I'm, I, we've done some, actually. I'm going to put, uh, I don't have the URL in mind, uh, but if you're on YouTube, I'm going to put the URL below now and you guys can check one of these uh, video blog posts that matches, but not exactly. And you'll see what I mean, basically. Anything on like using them together? What do you think the opportunity cost of spending more half, time half, yeah. getting into another platform is versus just, all right, let's go all in on one, be dedicated and, you know, get further with it. It kind of depends on your current situation. Like, for example, how difficult is it for you to compete on an SEO level? Let's say all your competitors are DR70 plus and you're DR30, right? Probably YouTube is an opportunity here because you can like get some clout in the industry by creating cool content. And then from that, then you will get... Oh, by the way, another thing I forgot to say, and it actually is going to link to this together. It's like I was going to say, you create a YouTube video, you make your video post, like with that blog post that 80% matches, but matches for SEO. But what it does, it gives an opportunity to people to link to the blog post and not the YouTube URL, because otherwise people link to YouTube, right? Like these links don't help your SEO. Whereas if you make a blog post from your YouTube videos, you give an opportunity to people to actually link back to your site, increase your SEO traffic, etc. And you can put your YouTube URLs inside Ahrefs and see who is linking to these videos and you can reach out to them and be like, hey, we actually have a whole blog post exactly on that video. Why don't you link to that instead? And actually like cap capitalize on the spread 
of the content that YouTube does. Because if you do great content, YouTube promotes it for you. You don't have to figure that out, right? They do it for you. Capitalize on that and then just take these links and point them back to your site, you know? So like, you know, if you're in that situation, you're DR30, everyone else is DR70, you have no chance of ranking for the big keywords. Then I would say, yes, go for, go for that YouTube stuff. Like, you know, go around your competition. Remember how we started Autori Hacker? We did something quite similar. We did, it's funny because I say that on the day when, after we finished launching the Authority Size Systems 3.0, but we started with Authority Hacker Pro, which was an advanced course. And that was the same thing. Getting into online marketing was very difficult. So the way we launched Authority Hacker is we started with the underserved audience, which was the advanced stuff, because everyone was doing beginner's course. And so we, we had no clout there. We had no reputation. So what we did is we did something advanced that the people in our audience that were that the newbies were looking up to would say was great. And we regressed back to making a beginner's course and then expanded our market share, you know? And essentially, it's the same strategy here. You can go for that underserved media, gain popularity here much faster than you would in a competitive space, and then take that and then ping pong it back to your site and your SEO. And in that case, I think it's a good strategy. And that's why, for example, and I'll say it for Atari Hacker, for example, there's many topics I'd like to talk about, but there's no way in hell we're going to rank for it. For example, I have a million things to say about raw canonicals, like how to use them in clever ways and do cool stuff, right? And there's no chance we will rank for rare canonicals. No chance. It's going to be Moz, it's going to be all these, like Ahrefs, it's going to be all these guys, and we will never rank for it. So there's an opportunity for me to take that content, put it on YouTube, do the cool stuff there, and then make the kind of like boring post on rare canonicals on the site, and then try to redirect some authority to it, basically. So yeah, sometimes it's worth it, but you have to understand the competitive landscape and understand the amount of resources it's going to take to do that as well. Because sometimes it's also better to focus on one thing. Does my answer satisfy you? Exceptionally, yeah. Um, <laughs> what about live streaming though? How does that fit in? Okay, so live streaming, I, I put that in there also because it's, it's an interesting one. And I think it's misunderstood by a lot of people because live streaming has become for a lot of people the lazy way of making videos, right? It's like, oh, they are just click on the live and then I'll, I'll do whatever the tutorial I wanted to do, or I'll do whatever. But the problem with live streaming is it's long, like it takes longer rather than like a, a well-edited video that would like, you know, give the information in 10 minutes. It's like long content format. And these kind of like sluggish videos in the way of giving information tend to do poorly in search on YouTube. And cases, our podcasts do terrible on search on YouTube. Because they're exactly that. They're essentially alive without the life. It's even worse. And they do terrible, but they do well with engagement. People watch them for a long time. So live tends to not grow YouTube channel. Tends to not, because it doesn't get recommended. It only gets recommended a little bit to people who are subscribed to your channel, but it doesn't get recommended to people outside of your channel like normal videos do. And so you tend to not do well. Like you don't tend to not grow. So live... I would say it's great when you already have a subscriber acquisition strategy, but it's not a way to get subscribers. So you do lies when you have already a bunch of videos ranking on YouTube that bring you daily subscribers. You do lies when you're already just big as well, and or when you want to engage people because live engages people. We see it in the premieres on this podcast, right? You can see how premieres can engage people, which is pretty much a live. People come and chat and we have the same people coming every week and it's fun and we have jokes and everything and it's it's a great engagement tool, but it's not a growth channel. So live streaming on YouTube at least is cool, but I think a lot of people and a lot of our competitors, to be frank, you tend to live stream a lot and do a lot of and very few good videos and it's costing them growth actually. The same way as like our subscriber count for us right now, because most of the videos on the YouTube channel are podcasts. It's okay, like because we have good engagement and people watch the videos for a long time. But it's like, when I do a real video, like it, it beats the podcast every single time, you know? And it keeps growing much faster than the podcast does. So yeah, live streaming and long form content is, is engagement. And then short 10 minutes videos is gross, you know? Which is why actually I was considering doing live streaming this year. And then I actually do that, did all that research. And I decided I won't do it, actually. I decided I will focus on creating proper videos instead. And I believe it's going to pay more dividends, actually. Okay, so let's just take a case study, right? Let's say you want to go into a high-paying niche. Choose a high-paying niche of your choice. Personal finance. If you had to start in personal finance, how would you use blogging and YouTube either on their own or together 
And how would you mix your strategy? It's really interesting because I thought you were going to ask me which one, what which do you prefer, blogging or YouTube? And I was going to say wholeheartedly blogging is much better. Mm -hmm. But then when you forced me to pick that, we didn't have this planned out. I suddenly thought, oh, actually, if I was going into that one, because it's so competitive on in a blogging landscape, like from an SEO perspective, you're competing with sites which just have so much domain authority. They've been established for a long, long time, link, link profiles through the roof, and also quite good content. So like competing with them is tough. Like, you, Where do you find your edge? But I feel like on YouTube, I could find my edge in personal finance, Exactly. relatively easily i mean compared to compared to blogging so i would almost go like all in on on youtube were i going in, in in for that and maybe after i'd sort of found my rhythm then i'd look at like creating a website around it to do other stuff yeah um, maybe have it there from day one to like capture your email list and do a few few bits and pieces like that yeah so I wouldn't go all in on just YouTube, but I agree that it would be much easier to find an edge. I mean, it's like, it's pretty easy. You need to consider monetization as well, right? Because like I follow a lot of personal finance channels and I can tell they're getting sponsored, but for high prices, like like brokerages pay $200 commissions. I know because I've referred a bunch of people to brokerages lately. So you can, you can make good money referring people and it's kind of like, how are you going to make money from people? Like you need especially for personal finance, you need trust, right? So it's like, it's much easier to trust someone that you can see and you hear talk than just a blog and a site. So it's like, then the on, the main way you convince people is just by ranking for the right keyword with SEO, just having the right intent from people that, income, that come to your site, right? But I don't think I would just do that. I would definitely capture emails on day one. I would definitely, like I would own my domain and I would probably make it a one pager that explains who I am with a call to action on top to capture emails and then probably run a newsletter in parallel to the YouTube channel so that you can engage your most active followers and you can even make recommendations of products, etc., to them as well. With financial products, you can make a lot of money. But YouTube is great because there's a lot of sponsorship as well in that space. So you could, like, you know, there's these uh, brokerage that gives like two free shares and they're like, oh, go get your two free shares and maybe it's going to be a Google share, who knows? And usually it's a, a penny stock, you know? So yeah, I would probably do like that and I would do my posts from videos as well after I get a bit of traction. I would first focus on making a lot of videos to get the initial traction. I would engage on social groups. Like what I would probably do even is I would like, let's say someone asks a, asks a question that gets like 300 likes on a Facebook group, let's say, uh, on personal finance or like on a subreddit or something. I would make a video answering that and post that as an answer and use that as my way to promote the video uh, because everyone that replied and liked and everything will get a notification and kind of like use that to get initial growth. When we started Toria Hacker, I, I say that before, but... I used to be the first one commenting with my link on my name on like the biggest blogs and that would bring us two to 300 visitors actually. And like I would do all these little things like basically to grow that. But then in my, at the beginning and end of each video, I would send people to my site so that they opt in. And so I can pixel them with retargeting as well because you can, you can also sell that data to advertiser or you can run your own campaigns if you want. Yeah, that's how I would do it. So I would like quite a bit of YouTube in there but not completely. Same with hosting, for example, I would probably do something quite similar. I would just go ahead and buy each hosting. I would probably do, I'll write the review, but make the, the video the main content, you know, so that we can reach people faster because ranking for like Bluehost review, good luck, you know. Okay, any final words of wisdom for people on uh, blogging versus YouTube? Should everyone start a YouTube channel after this podcast? No, no. everyone should not start a YouTube <laughs> channel after, after this podcast. I think if you have the inclination to to do so, and it's something which appeals to you, you think you you would you'd find fun. Then I think it's it's worth exploring. If you if you already have a site, I think you just have to be very conscious of the opportunity cost of what you might be missing out in terms of optimizing your site more, building more links, creating more more content. Because you'll start from zero subscribers on on YouTube, and it'll take a while before it starts to have a kind of marginal effect on on what you're doing. I believe it's easier to st and more beneficial to start a YouTube channel after you have a site that has traffic than starting a site after you have a YouTube channel that has traffic. 
it was reversed for that example on personal finance because it's so hard to get a successful site, but provided you're in a niche where you can get some traffic and most niches is quite possible. We just picked something ex excessively hard just for the example. It's better for that example of like embedding videos on blog posts, etc. It's going to be really fast to go to your YouTube channel. And it's this kind of like catch up process that will happen so that you can focus your initial energy on building your website, then use that traffic especially on your info content, right? So we usually have info content, monetized content. Yeah, you can just take that info content, put YouTube videos in there, and then use that to grow your YouTube channel. And then from this engagement, hopefully get reach more people in the industry. And the power of YouTube is just really the fact that you don't, you just need to generate engagement and then YouTube does the promo for you. That's kind of the power of this. It's really nice. It works really well, provided you figure out the right formats. And that's why we like it. And provided you have a business that, get some benefits from having people following you. Even in some affiliate niches, it's worth it. In personal finance, for example, let's say there is like, uh, I don't know, like sales or whatever, like there's special offers or something like this, new funds that open that you can promote, whatever it is. Like you, you send these people to that. Same in hosting, for example, again, like Black Friday sales, etc. You can send people who follow you in a recurring manner and so on. So I would recommend to first start with your site, but then consider expanding to YouTube. Not that long after, you can either do with your face or you can do with hiring talent. As I said, make sure you have multiple faces, make sure you are never the face of the brand if you don't want to be the face at any point. Like, just don't put yourself in the camera, in front of the camera to start. Figure it out with something else. It's gonna be harder, but it's going to pay dividends if you do that. And you can still sell your site and the YouTube channel I think is a good asset. And also, I think you can get a lot more brand deals when you have a YouTube channel, but like you could then have, you can extend these brand deals to your site. You could be like, oh, you don't, don't you want to sponsor that post as well that is related and it's going to cost you an extra 500 bucks or something. So that's basically all I wanted to say on YouTube and blogging. I think the old school blogging is dead and the new blogging is basically YouTube, but the best money is still in creating websites. So if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, click on the notification bell. That's a YouTube episode after all, like it, and we'll see you next week in another episode. Bye.